gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He's Mike McDaniel. Mike, I made a huge mistake. Can I can I tell you about this mistake right quick? <laughs> uh, you picked Louisville to cover the spread against Houston. Oh, that is the least of my worries here. <laughs> well, maybe maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, so let me let me take you back here real quick. Uh, let's go all the way back to about the first full week of September, right? So I was in Ireland. So this is right after the first weekend of college football where Houston had just beaten Oklahoma. And my dad and I, big Louisville fans, obviously, had talked about, let's go to the Louisville-Houston game. Well, I had hesitated to buy tickets up until that point. And so when I did buy them, of course, after a big upset for Houston... Uh, they were real expensive, and they were not the best seats. And so basically what it ended up being is I paid a crap ton of money for my wife and my father and I to go and watch Louisville completely get their pants taken down against Houston on national television. And my goodness, that was a, uh, that was a regrettable experience, i got to tell you. That's, uh, I'd like to say that was money well spent because you saw a Thursday night college football game, well, you know. The rest of us peasants were sitting at home, you know, getting ready for work the next day. So you had that going for you. You saw college football in person on Thursday night. Bad news for you is that you're a Louisville fan as well as a Georgia Tech fan, and Louisville did not show up against Houston. There's no other way to really put it. Defense was, you know, fine. You know, you said it was fine. I tend to say, well, you know, you still gave up 36 points. Uh, I will concede this, though. The offense of Louisville really put the defense in a lot of really tough spots. Uh, that was a, a lot of the issue. Offensive line play, obviously pretty shoddy. Lamar Jackson, arguably his worst game of the year. Uh, but it wasn't all on him. You know, A lot of it had to do with the fact that he wasn't getting a ton of protection in the pocket. It was never comfortable for him, and you got to give credit to Houston for their pass rush. I, you know, I think that you and I will both agree going into the game, neither of us would have been surprised if Houston won, but I think both of us were surprised the way that Houston won, winning the game by almost four touchdowns against Louisville, a game that was never really competitive. The Cardinals really struggled out of the gate. Obviously, um, the issues on the opening kickoff that – you know, put you in a hole right away. That's never good for momentum there to start a football game, and it was kind of down all downhill from there uh, for Louisville. So not a good night for the Cardinals. Obviously, now out of the college football playoff, we can you know discuss obviously broader implications of that as far as it relates to the rest of the conference later on when we when we get into Clemson. But um, you know, the ACC goes from okay, hey, maybe we can sneak two in if everything falls right with the Big Ten. You go from that to saying, hey, we're an, a Clemson upset away from having no ACC teams in the college football playoff. And this is, of course, after talking about how successful of a season, which you know it really has been for the ACC, top to bottom, the depth that there's been in the conference this year with the football teams and how, you know, how a lot of teams in the conference, especially towards the bottom, uh, except for Boston College, of course, uh, exceeded expectations this year. Um, and you had a, a conference that had a lot of depth to it, a lot of, a lot of bowl-eligible teams in the ACC here potentially as, as the season winds down, but we still might not get 
a team in the college football playoff. I mean, that's definitely a possible scenario if Clemson is to get upset here, either against South Carolina in the last game of the year or um, even in the college football playoff. But for Louisville, obviously, really disappointing into the year. I mean, they were going to have to go into this Houston game and essentially blow out, blow out a good Houston team, which, you know, Houston wasn't as good as maybe we thought we were they were going to be uh, at this point in the year. But they still entered this game against Louisville with an 8-2 and two record. I mean, they were no slouch. Tom Herman had his guys ready to play, and this is a huge win. Uh, huge win for Houston over Louisville, and the Cardinals, who already had a kind of a weak strength of schedule with their only real win, or really good win anyway, coming against Florida State. Uh, you got to beat a team like Houston. Uh, the only really other good team on your schedule that you have a win against, potentially, um, on the slate after obviously losing to Clemson, but you know you just completely lay an egg on national TV on Thursday night against Houston. It's never a good look, and they're out of the college football playoff because of it. Yeah. Before I go any further, I mean, first of all, credit to Houston for and to Tom Herman having his team ready to play. Houston came out really hyped up. They they played really well. They executed really well. Um, like you said, I mean, I thought Louisville's defense was was fine. Um, they only give up, what was it, 362 yards of offense on 79 snaps. I mean, it came out less than five yards per play. Over the course of a game, I mean, that's pretty good. Uh, Houston was 5 of 17 on third down. That's pretty good uh, for the Louisville defense. They hung in there. The Louisville offense was completely just embarrassing garbage in this game. Um as you mentioned, I mean, Lamar Jackson could have been better. There were some throws that he missed on. Uh, there were some times it felt like he might have been pressing a little bit uh, as far as, you know, making reads or hanging on to the ball too long. There were, you know, a couple of times that maybe he caused sacks. But there were, I don't know, there were probably at least eight times that the offensive line caused sacks considering uh, Jackson was brought down on passing plays behind the line a paltry 11 times. Uh, didn't help that the offensive line also committed something like seven or eight false start penalties in the game uh, and holding penalties. Louisville penalized 16 times in the game. I mean, this was top to bottom. This was an embarrassing performance for Louisville on national television. Uh, it's it's really a shame. I mean, as I said, Lamar Jackson could have been better, but this is not on him. Uh, he got no help from his offensive line. His receivers were dropping passes. It was a total mess. And And meanwhile... Seemingly, everything Houston tried was working. They had a couple of trick plays. They got a first down on a fake punt. They scored a touchdown on a running back pass. Um, Louisville turns the ball over three times. Jackson played his role in that, certainly. Um, yeah, I mean, Houston just came out and smoked Louisville in this game from the get-go, and I don't feel like there's a whole lot of two ways about it. And the conference as a whole might suffer because of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously... Uh, like you said there, your last point, I mean, the broader implications here, really, uh, it comes down to the ACC potentially only having, at best now, one team in. I mean, it was probably a long shot they would get two in the playoff anyway, but they at least had an opportunity. Now you look at Louisville getting smoked the way they did. Obviously not, not a real good look for the ACC, especially the hype that the Cardinals have gotten from many, uh, me included. I mean, I thought Louisville was obviously a much better team uh, entering this game than Houston, I th you know I thought even though Houston had a down year, I thought you know they would come out and be competitive in the game. But I didn't envision Louisville losing this game by almost four touchdowns like they did. I mean it's pretty bad that Louisville is really you know 
the adversity they faced this year, I mean, the, the two notable games obviously being the Duke game and the Virginia game where Louisville found themselves in a tough spot late and they figured out a way to win, um, especially in the Virginia game where it didn't always look like it was going to go their way. They found a way to win. So on one hand, you could say, hey, we saw this coming. But on the other side, you could say, well, Louisville is a team that can hang 50 on, 50 on you in a span of a quarter and a half. I mean, they're that kind of offense. Uh, for them to come out on a short week against a team that's still really good and essentially not show up to play is pretty disappointing, especially if you're a Louisville fan hoping that they had an outside chance at the playoff. Houston 36, Louisville 10. Kind of crazy to think that a team a week ago that I, I would have made an argument that Louisville probably deserved to be in the playoff over Clemson. And now we're talking about a very real scenario where Louisville might not make a New Year's Six game. Life comes at you fast, Mike. Yep. <laughs> Moving on, the Virginia Tech Hokies, you were here, uh, go into the depths of South Bend, Indiana, and come back in the middle of a blizzard or something was going on there. Uh, and they pulled off a win, 34-31, over the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Uh, yeah, it was very, very cold in South Bend. Um, got to see the team I grew up rooting for, slash applied to school there, slash never got in. Um, and the school that I just received a degree from about a year and a half ago. So I got to see Virginia Tech play at Notre Dame. It was an awesome experience. Uh, pretty good atmosphere out there in South Bend, despite the fact that Notre Dame entered the game with a 4-6 and six record. And... Um, what Virginia Tech does in this game, uh, look, uh, they come in and they're actually an underdog, which was a surprise, and the Hokies come out and they have a rough start to the game. Notre Dame gets on them early. It's 24-7 with, you know, late in the first half. Virginia Tech scores a late touchdown, obviously, to cut it to 10 and then scored on the first possession of the second half. Completely seized the momentum of the game. Um, a couple of interesting plays here and, and points as well. Number one, Deshaun Kaiser in the first half was 12 of 18 for 199 yards and a couple of touchdowns. In the second half, he was 3 of 15 for 37 yards. I, that's kind of a testament, obviously, to Bud Foster's defense, the adjustments they made, and uh, the fact that Notre Dame didn't really execute very well offensively in the second half. They only had something like 135 total yards in the second half after everything um, that they were able to do in the first half. So a testament there to Bud Foster's defense for the adjustments that they made. Um, really the only big play of the second half for Notre Dame, offensively anyway, was the Josh Adams touchdown run. It was a 67-yard run coming off of what I saw as a turning point in the game potentially uh, that we'd be talking about if Notre Dame ended up pulling this thing out. Uh, Virginia Tech had scored, obviously, on the first possession in the second half to make it 24-14. to or uh, 24-21, excuse me, um, cutting the lead to cutting the Notre Dame lead to three. Well, Gerard Evans found Cam Phillips deep down the seam. He throws it out to him, a perfect throw, cutting into the wind. Also, um, and it was gusting, probably 20 to 25 miles per hour for a majority of the game. So it can't be can't be overstated that he threw a 45 or 50 yard pass right on the money to Phillips down the seam. Phillips has it go off of his hands, hit, hit him right where it needs to be, obviously, right right in the hands. Bounces off his hands, Drew Tranquil intercepts the throw, and Notre Dame two plays later has Josh Adams run 67 yards for a touchdown, extending the lead to 10. So then you're thinking, okay, Virginia Tech's going to fold up like a tent 
uh, and then you know the fourth quarter things started going the Hokies way obviously they had a really nice drive going at the end of the third they were able to capitalize there in the fourth quarter um, they got a field goal they got a touchdown on a finally on a throw to Bucky Hodges I, I still don't really understand how Gerard Evans doesn't look for Bucky Hodges more often um, Hodges only had two catches for 15 yards in this game one of them was obviously a huge touchdown catch uh, to, to give the Hokies uh, the lead and then um, or to tie the game anyway, and then Virginia Tech, of course, getting the late field goal uh, that ultimately decided the game. But a great comeback for Virginia Tech. I mean, I, I tweeted something um, in the second quarter. I said, ball game, when Notre Dame went up 24-7, to because I just really didn't see it with Virginia Tech's defense there in the first half. But credit the Hokies for the resiliency. There are too many times I've watched Virginia Tech this year where they've been down and out. Um, if they go down in a game, uh, a la Syracuse, Georgia Tech, um, Tennessee, they were actually up two scores, but once Tennessee seized all the momentum, that was it for Tech. Uh, you know, once the Hokies go down, it's they, they've had a lot of trouble coming back this year. So, you know, credit the resiliency there on the road in South Bend, a place that's really not easy to play for first-time opponents. There have been something like 123 um, different opponents that have gone into South Bend, and Virginia Tech is just the 14th team um, in, in the history of Notre Dame Stadium to go in there on their first opportunity and win um, on the road in South Bend. So that's just a testament to how difficult it is to win there the first time you play out there. Um, I don't know if it's the tradition, the stadium, the fan base, just the talent of Notre Dame. I'm not really sure what it is, but credit to Virginia Tech. They came back and hung in there. Credit to the defense. And for Notre Dame, it's another game where you know you played well enough to win. You just had a couple different things that didn't go your way. And then one more final point, and Brian Kelly, I, you know, I was watching all the post-game reaction. Fuente and Bud Foster talked, and then Brian Kelly talked as well. And I heard this on the local news there when I was back at the hotel later on that night. They were showing the highlights, and Brian Kelly was talking about the officiating. And, you know, Deshaun Kaiser, uh, there were a couple calls on the Edmonds brothers, one on Tremaine Edmonds, one on Terrell Edmonds, where they went in and, and kind of went high on Kaiser when he was giving himself up on a play, um, you know, obviously running and, and then sliding, giving himself up. And those are two targeting calls that the officials missed. And to Brian Kelly's point, which I can agree with, that there needs to be a line drawn in college football where, look, you're either going to be an advocate for player safety from an officiating standpoint or you're not. And those were two really obvious targeting calls that the officials missed. Brian Kelly was right. I mean, how big of a priority is player safety? I mean, we can talk about it, we can preach about it, but then if that's going to be the case, we need to call it correctly in games, and I think we see that across college football a ton where nobody seems to really know what targeting is. And then, uh, you know, that you know, it, in turn, you have, you know, these guys getting called for targeting and then being out for a game, you know, being – being out for the rest of the game they're in and the first half of the next game, it could be a questionable call. So I think that's something the officiating, uh, obviously officials need to clean up here moving forward. But, yeah, a good win anyways for the Hokies coming back and winning 34-31 on the road in South Bend. Real quick, Mike, I wanted to point out a couple of things. As you mentioned, it was a really good bounce-back game here for Gerard Evans. He played very poorly against Georgia Tech. Comes back 22 for 29, 267, two touchdowns and a pick. Uh, and then he also had 18 carries, 67 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, 67 yards led the team in rushing as well. So big game from him. And I think it's worth noting here as well, as kind of as you were referring to, 
Notre Dame went up in this game 17 nothing, and then 24 to 7. And specifically from the point that they were up 24 to 7, Virginia Tech pulled off a 27 to 7 run to end the game, including 13 nothing in the fourth quarter. That's that's a really good comeback and a, and a strong effort on the road in a, in foreign territory as you mentioned. Um, tough tough win, uh, but a, a really good one for Virginia Tech. Notre Dame continues its struggles this year, and I have to feel like they're probably going to lose to USC next week, and they're going to finish up 4-8, and eight, and that's rough. Um, but I guess these things are going to happen. Um, I don't know. <laughs> that's tough for Notre Dame, but a, a good bounce back here for Virginia Tech, Mike. Yeah, and one. let me get in one more quick thing. Um, Virginia Tech running back Marshawn Williams, he – uh, left the game late with an injury. Nobody really <laughs> knew that he was hurt or even dealing with a knee injury. You you all will remember the listeners, if you're a Virginia Tech fan, Williams, of course, two years ago when he was a freshman and a really dynamic player uh, for the Hokies in the running game, tore his ACL and MCL. Apparently it's the same knee, folks, and he's out for the remainder of the season. We don't know the extent of that injury. Fuente wouldn't, Coach Fuente wouldn't go into it, but... You know, for a guy like Marshawn Williams, pretty disappointing. Hopefully it's not as serious as it was a couple of years ago, but Williams was a guy who was starting to get a little bit more playing time in the running game. You're seeing more of Williams and less of Trayvon McMillian, McMillan in recent weeks. So Hokies will be without one of their bigger threats in the running game. I mean, this isn't a great running offense outside of Gerard Evans, but um, they were starting to rely on Marshawn Williams a little bit more, and he's going to be out for the remainder of the year. That's a tough loss. Virginia Tech 34, Notre Dame 31. Let's move on, Mike. Miami goes into Raleigh and pulls off a win against NC State. Uh, we had talked about this potentially being a tricky spot for them. We talked about how this before the year looked like it might be a tricky spot for Miami. Uh, they go in there and take care of business. At halftime, it was a barn burner of a game at 3-3. Three to three. Uh and they come out in the second half, and Miami goes on a 24-10 run to end the game. Uh, really big day from Mark Walton. Uh, 19 carries, 120 yards, and three touchdowns. Really led that Miami offense. And then Brad Kaya, 22 of 38, 286. No touchdowns, but no picks. Um, so a good day for the Miami offense. Uh, Ryan Finley, 20 for 44, 210 and a pick for NC State. Matt Days, 20 carries, 76 yards, and a touchdown. He continues to be the bell cow that they try to lean on. Uh, but, again, n- not being able to get enough in the passing game kind of did in NC State. And, honestly, i got to think the better team won here, Mike. Yeah, better team won. Offensively, NC State gave gave us a little bit less, and I think we expected them to give us on offense. Uh, when you throw the ball 44 times and only throw it for 210 yards and don't get in the end zone, that's a problem. Uh, not the best game for Ryan Finley. Offensive line had some issues in protection, obviously, throughout the game. That was really obvious. The running game for NC State, I mean, they've relied on Matt Days a ton this year. Um, but it hasn't been the best rushing attack in the ACC. Let's just put it that way. Um, 20 carries, 76 yards, and a touchdown. Credit Miami's defense. Um, it, the last month, really, uh, Miami's defense has really come around and played a lot better. Uh, we, You know, we've kind of seen the... September version of Miami's defense when they were playing lesser opponents. Well, now they're playing, um, you know, better opponents than they were playing in the first part of the season, obviously. 
in the non-conference schedule, and they're they're getting some wins here. And Miami moves to seven and four. Obviously, big day from Walt and Brad Kaya, as you mentioned. But one other guy, Amon Richards, he's a freshman, and he's still just out there making plays. He's been as good as any freshman in the ACC at the receiver position. Another nine catch, one seventeen performance for him. Um, a really good day there at the office for Amon Richards. So I've been really impressed with him. He's been one of the better receivers in the ACC period this year. Um, but he's not getting nearly as much hype as he should because Miami's kind of been meddling there. Um, you know, for the better part of October, they were starting to really struggle and working a lot of credit there. But, um, uh, you know, as, as the offense has gone, uh, especially in the passing game, Amon Richards has been a really big part of it. So, uh, yeah, good win for Miami. Uh, you know, this was a trap game that we mentioned. It's tough to go into NC State no matter what the record of the Wolf Pack. And uh, a good win for Miami moving to seven wins. They're going to have another, you know, a good chance to get to eight here um, heading into the weekend. Mike, you might want to cover your ears. This is going to get a little explicit here for a second. NC State drive summary. Punt, no, punt, 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 field goal, end of half. Interception, touchdown, field goal, turnover on downs. Yep. It's not great. That sounds sounds about right, doesn't it? That's not great. Yeah. Good. No, that's not going to win you many games in any conference. Uh, that won't you win. That, I mean, that won't win you games in the MAC. <laughs> so, um, get that fresh match in on Tuesday nights. Oh, but um, yeah, that's brutal. No. Anything else before not we move good. on here? Now nah, we're good. We're good. Not a lot to say about this one. It kind of went as we expected. Miami 27, NC State 13. I think you're going to find out that a lot of games this week in the ACC were pretty much on par. Uh, really, the Louisville-Houston game and the Virginia Tech-Notre Dame game were about as interesting and surprising as it got. Uh, moving on to, I guess you could maybe say this game was a little surprising just with the way that it played out, more so than the result. Georgia Tech 31, UVA 17. Not, that was weird. Not to spend weird too game. long on this, but... Damn, Georgia Tech's offense came back a week after taking it to a pretty good defense with some second-string personnel, and they added back the starters on senior day, and they looked awful. Yep. No, it was a uh, it was a bad offensive performance for Georgia Tech. I mean, I think that's. <laughs> I, I mean, the big plays obviously were the story in this game. Um, uh, when, when looking at how this game was won. Um, Obviously, Marcus Marshall had the really long run in the second quarter. It was almost 70 yards. I don't really have it in front of me here. Um, he had a long run. Uh, the other running back, Lynch, had what that long touchdown catch right, and then one of the other running backs had a really long run. It was just a story of like crazy plays. Oh, and uh, Lance Austin had the pick uh, in the fourth quarter. That guy is a winner. Yeah, this is... Uh, I don't know. It was weird because I thought Matt Johns for Virginia. I mean, I don't know why Matt Johns wasn't starting all year. Uh, that's kind of the the sense I got from watching this game. I mean, it wasn't a great game for Matt Johns. He threw three picks, but there seemed to be more of a sense of calm within the offense. It almost looked like the rest of the Virginia offense was a little bit more comfortable than I've seen them um, all season long. I mean, Ben Kurt has had his moments this year, but Matt Johns brought like a quiet confidence, and he didn't play great. I'm not saying he played well by any means, but um, threw for 220, was 27 of 44 passing. The three picks obviously kill you, uh, the pick six especially, but Smoke Mizell had a good game. Um, 
goes for 130 yards. I don't know. I mean, I, I think Virginia would have been better off Matt Johns at quarterback. If you had to give me one takeaway from this game besides the big plays, obviously, I think the better team won. I mean, I do think Georgia Tech's much, much better than Virginia. And, you know, despite all the issues they had on offense, it was really only a handful of plays that decided this game, or else Georgia Tech might have actually been in a lot of trouble. But I never really got the sense in this game that Georgia Tech was – um, in really a position to lose. I mean, Virginia hung around there for a while. It was close in the even in the third quarter, but um, ultimately Georgia Tech's defense was actually, I, I know this sounds crazy, Georgia Tech's defense was too strong late. And this is kind of two straight weeks where Georgia Tech's defense has played really well, um, one against a good Virginia Tech offense, and then, of course, against a really bad Virginia offense. But Virginia got their yards, but they didn't get the points, and that ended up being the story in this one. Well, I'll say that Georgia Tech's defense was pretty awful in the first half. Uh, they, they played actually really well in the second half, like you mentioned. Uh, they started getting off the field. They created three turnovers, including the last play of the game. But as you alluded to, I mean, Georgia Tech's offense really survived on big plays in this game. Uh, they had touchdowns, as you mentioned. Marcus Marshall, 67 yards. Clinton Lynch, a 54-yard catch. Quay Searcy, a 60-yard run. And it's a good thing that they got those. I, I wrote a column about this Sunday from the Rumble Seed. If anyone wants to go check that out, probably not. But um, there's the confidence, Mike. How long? How long would you guess the longest drive in this game was in a game in which Georgia Tech's offense accounted for, we'll call it, 24 points without the pick six? Let's say like six-ish minutes. Uh, even in just play count. Let's say play count. Play count. Uh, Twelve plays. Half. Yeah, let's go with like. Wow. Georgia Tech's longest drive in this game by plays was their second drive of the game that went six plays. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's that's crazy. They had eight first downs in this game. If you include the three long plays as first downs. Um. They had well over half their yardage on those three plays and ran 38 snaps for about 140 yards otherwise. This was a really, really poor performance from the Georgia Tech offense. Um, They had opportunities to hit a few other big plays. And in fairness, Virginia's defense was being really uh, very aggressive, which made a lot of the kind of short stuff, you know, kind of sustaining drives kind of made it a little tougher. But... Georgia Tech did not sustain drives well. They were not consistent at all. Um, and it's really, really concerning, you know, when you get your starters back and such that the offense gets worse. Um, I don't I don't know whether they can beat Georgia next week playing that way. Um, this was really a clunker from Georgia Tech, and they still come out winners, which is good. And, you, I mean, you got to like that if you're a Tech fan. But, uh, whew, ooh, this was not a pretty one at all. <laughs> they also covered the spread, didn't they? They did cover the spread. Yeah, they were uh, they were eleven point favorites, and they win by two yep. touchdowns. There you go. In fact, I want to say I want to say this is the exact score that I predicted. Uh, probably. <laughs> Maybe. I'll give it to you. I'll yeah. accept it. We'll count it. I can't remember if it was 31-17 or thirty-four seventeen. I can't remember, but regardless, you were damn close. Yeah, I had it nailed. I just didn't know how this was going to happen. So well. <laughs> Count it anyways. Anything else here, Mike? No, I'm good. I'm with you, though. They, 
the Virginia offense did look quite a bit better under Matt Johns, and they gave Georgia Tech a lot of problems in the first half. So uh, yeah, it's no, it's really weird. I I don't know because like Matt Johns didn't play great, but it just seemed like the offense moved better with him under center. And I'm sitting here wondering why Bronco Mendenhall decided Benkert was a better option coming in as a transfer. Um, I mean, they were you know, five for nine on third down and put up 200 yards of offense in the first half. You take that. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you will. I mean, for an offense that struggled as much as theirs has, you will take that for sure. And Mizell ran well, and uh, you know, Mizell is a little bit underrated. I, you know, he plays behind a pretty bad offensive line. I mean, Mizell is a pretty talented running back. I mean, there there have been glimpses where he's been at his best, and he was very good uh, Saturday. But there have been glimpses, you know, over his time at Virginia, where you know, when he's at his best, he's a very good running back, and he doesn't get a, you know nearly the credit he deserves because he plays a behind a really bad offensive line, and b Virginia is just getting you know waxed in most of the games they play. So that's obviously the issue there. But yet, yeah, you know, the broader point is the offense looked a lot better with Johns at quarterback versus Benkert, which is uh, I don't want to say surprising, but you know, if if you're not a Bronco Mendenhall guy, you're probably sitting here thinking, well, we probably wouldn't be two and eight, two and nine, whatever we are, um, we, with Matt Johns at quarterback. I don't know if you know it would have played out that way or not. I think Virginia is still in, in totality a pretty bad football team, but yeah, it just seemed like the offense was moving a lot better under Johns than it did under Benkert. It was strange. Curious to see if they try that moving forward. Although they're only they only got one game left. They're two and nine. They aren't going to a bowl game, so. Yeah, you know, might get your APR, you know, bouncing you in a bowl. You know, two and two and nine. You know, surprise. How many extra runs does that put on the schedule? No. Um, no. <laughs> yeah, like you mentioned, I mean, Smoke Moselle, really good player. The other guy that was really good on Saturday is Andrew Brown, uh, former five-star defensive tackle. He had, he was even lining up at like linebacker sometimes, which was really interesting. Um, but a couple of like really good players amongst a very average to below average team. So, um, yeah. Been a rough year, one of uh, Bronco Mendenhall up there in Charlottesville, but uh, maybe better things are to come. I don't know. Got to figure out an he, offense. You better hope so, or he'll be out of job. Yeah, no kidding. Georgia Tech 31, Virginia 17. Let's move on, Mike. Florida State 45, Syracuse 14. This one went pretty much how we expected. Eric Dungey did not play. Syracuse struggled against a very talented Florida State front. Uh, Dalvin Cook sets the school record for career rushing yards. That's a huge accomplishment at a school like Florida State. A lot of good running backs there. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I said that I thought he might go for at least 150 and three touchdowns. He did. He went for 225 and four touchdowns. That's a pretty good day uh, at the office, I would say. DeAndre Francois, 18-28, 315, two touchdowns, one pick. Can't ask for a Very whole lot more. decent. Yeah, you take that. Uh, Zach Mahoney for Syracuse, only 16 of 36, 196 yards, two touchdowns and two picks. That's rough. Syracuse held to 37 total rushing yards. Um, yeah, this is just a dominant performance in the in a, what can be a kind of a tough play to, place to play if you're Florida State. Uh, a couple things here. Number one, I said bet the house on Syracuse to cover if Eric Dungey plays. Eric Dungey didn't play, so I said bet the house on Florida State. Just to clarify. Just to clarify, for those of you who want to give me heat on Twitter, I'm expecting that because I always get those people. They're like, oh, you were wrong. I'm like, I know. Like, but I wasn't actually wrong this time. Um, embrace the hate. Yeah, yeah, embrace the hate. Uh, 
Yeah, Francois had a good game. Dalvin Cook, he's an okay player. And Auden Tate, another really good game out of him. He's really turning into a dynamic playmaker at receiver for Florida State. He had another five-catch, 77-yard performance. If you're Syracuse, it's really been the story all year long of not really having much of a running game. Uh, if you don't have a good running game, you're probably going to be in really rough shape. Dante Strickland, 10 carries, 19 yards. I could have done that. A uh, very bad performance out of the Syracuse running game, which has been a story all year. Obviously, you're going to struggle at quarterback. We don't have a guy like Eric Dungey. This, again, furthers my point of Eric Dungey being one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the country. He's a really good player. You can talk about scheme all you want. He's a system quarterback. Yeah, okay, he could be a system quarterback, but there are not many games this year where Eric Dungey went 16 of 36 for 196 yards, two touchdowns, two picks like Zach Mahoney did. I think if you get Dungey in this game, you're probably good for one less interception and maybe one more touchdown. Maybe it's a little bit more competitive, who knows. But Dungey, obviously, when he's in the game, Syracuse is a different offense, and we saw that again on Saturday. Besides that, status quo, good win for Florida State. They needed this one on the road to avoid a slip-up. And Florida State, before you know it here, if they continue winning games, they got, you know, obviously the rivalry game against Florida left. If they're able to beat Florida... On Saturday, they might have an outside shot in New Year's Six game. We'll have to see. Mike, did you ever watch Blue Mountain State? I did. Wonderful, wonderful college football show that actually really didn't have much of anything to do with college football. Um, every time I hear Zach Mahoney's name, for some reason, all I can think of is Alex <laughs> Moran, a guy was who was just—he was just born to be a backup quarterback. Yeah, like where you go? Like I was thinking, where is he going with this? And then, yeah, no. Moran for sure. Yeah. I don't think Mahoney's going to go out there and win you a ton of games, but, I mean, he might look like he belongs there a little bit. He was fine. I mean, you know, Syracuse is just not a good team when Eric Dungey's not playing quarterback. They're just not a good team. And it's not Zach Mahoney's fault. I mean, I thought he was fine. Mm -hmm. Florida State's defense, to their credit, is another defense, like much like Miami's, has really come around here in the better part of the last five or six weeks. Like They're playing a lot better football, I think. Um, and Mahoney, I thought, played fine, but the real issue here for Syracuse, and this has been the case all year, is you can throw the ball a million times, but if you have no running attack, and same can be said for Virginia Tech, you know, Virginia Tech's offense is essentially Syracuse's offense, but Virginia Tech is a better defense. I mean, they're essentially the same team with better athletes and a defense. I mean, that's basically what we're watching, which is one of the reasons why Syracuse was able to scheme for Virginia Tech so well and beat them. Um, but yeah, you know, you don't have a running game. You're really going to struggle, especially when your defense has as many issues as Syracuse has. So that's why Syracuse is sitting here at 4-7, and seven, despite having a pretty good year one under Dino Babers. Florida State 45, Syracuse 14. Let's move on, Mike. Pittsburgh 56, Duke 14. Where did this come from? I don't know. What on earth? I don't know. I I said Duke would upset Pittsburgh, which, I, you know, could have been bold at the time, but I don't think any I, I you and I, at least, I don't know about anybody out there, was expecting Pittsburgh to come out and just blow the doors off Duke. I mean, I didn't see 56 points. I'm mostly um, just mad because I was wrong about the point total. That was my... Uh, Pick of the week last week was for this game to stay under 63 points, and Pittsburgh just decided to almost score 63 by themselves. Uh, yeah, it, 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 this is weird, right? Because Duke's defense has played pretty well the last couple weeks coming in. I mean, they, I don't want to say shut down, but they played pretty well against a 
solid Virginia Tech offense and then follow that up with a pretty solid performance against North Carolina, whose offense is every bit as good as Virginia Tech's when firing on all cylinders. And then they just lay a dud against a Pittsburgh offense that we talked about. It's like quietly explosive, but it's not a powerhouse offense by any means. And Duke puts up, or Duke puts up, 14 points. They give up 56 on defense. It's very surprising. James Conner, obviously, with a huge day there for Pittsburgh, um, which is always good to see. He's really easy to root for. But I did not see 56 points out of Pittsburgh. Uh, really good win for them following up. Uh, you know, the win on the road at Clemson. It's good for Pittsburgh to avoid that letdown game there at Duke. Duke's offense basically couldn't get anything going unless they were throwing the ball. Daniel Jones, 28 of 46 for 243 and a touchdown. The entire offense only had 268 yards. They had 22 carries, including some, you know, five sacks by the Pittsburgh defense, which is really good. 22 carries for 25 yards in this game. That's not good. Nope. Um, really bad. Really bad, even. Yeah, you might even call that really bad. Um, Pittsburgh benefits in this game from, as you mentioned, three explosive offensive plays. Quadri Henderson with a 52-yard run. Jester Weah with a 56-yard catch. Scott Orndoff with a 48-yard catch for a touchdown. Quadri Henderson also has a 65-yard punt return for a touchdown. Uh, really kind of flipped the field and really just made it tough on Duke to even keep serving this game. Um, Duke turned the ball over a couple times. This was just a total rout. Um, and, I mean, credit to credit to Pittsburgh. I, I mean, still surprised that they were able to pull this off. Nate Peterman, eight, 11 of 18 for 237 and three touchdowns and a pick. When you only complete 11 passes and you go for 237 and three touchdowns, that's efficient. Um, Something's amiss. <laughs> Something's amiss. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, I mean... Man, it's like Duke didn't show up to play here, and uh, it, that I mean, it cost him. <laughs> no yeah, real, no it real definitely other way to did. put it. Yeah, and uh, real quick on Pittsburgh, you know, the, the story, you know, for much of the year has been James Conner, rightfully so. Uh, great story, great comeback story. He's played really well, looking every bit as good as he did prior to cancer and the knee injury and all the stuff that he's gone through last year and a half. But... Unsung hero for Pittsburgh, well, not not unsung for Pittsburgh, but really unsung for the rest of the conference. Nobody ever talks about him. Is Quadri Henderson? How good he's been. Uh, he's a guy who handles the ball in the run game. Um, he's a very good receiver for them. He makes plays in the kicking game. Uh, he's just a big time returner. He's he's a playmaker. He's one of the more dynamic players in the conference from that standpoint. He's heavily relied upon for Pittsburgh, and he's been a big reason why Pitt has had the successes this year that they have had. Um, and I'm not sure either of us saw Cody Henderson doing what he's done this year uh, to the lengths that he has. Um, he's been a really, just a really good player on offense and even a better player in the return game uh, there for Pittsburgh. Cody Henderson is so good. Shades of Tyler Boyd. Yeah, he's he's a he's a mini Tyler Boyd. Uh, he has a chance to be really really good. He already is really good, but he has he has a chance to even make strides and you know get to really what Tyler Boyd was the last few years for Pittsburgh. Only a sophomore, so he's got time. Yep. Panthers fifty six, Blue Devils fourteen. Mike, we got to move on to a game here that we nailed. We called it. <laughs> sort of. 
The Clemson Tigers, they win, but they don't cover against the Steam and Deacons. Yep. Tigers 35, Demon Deacons 13. That's a 20-point spread. 22-point victory to fail to cover a 22-and-a-half-point spread. Yes, sir, we nailed it. And Boom. we also and we also nailed the Nick Schusler. Schusler, right? Schusler? Is that? Yeah, that'll work. You know, let, let's just butcher pronunciations because that's Schusler. really what I'm... Schusler? I mean, pronunciation butchering is what I'm good at. We, we you know... Basketball conference sports book over under two and a half names butchered by me on a week to week basis. Ooh. I'll take the I'll personally take the over on that. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, yeah, I mean this is a game that went exactly how we said they'd pull Deshaun Watson late and Clemson get the backdoor cover and okay, good to go. Steam and Deeks didn't have it on Saturday, which I mean. You're playing a much better team. Clemson was a better team. They sleptwalked their way to a 35 to 13 win. That's really all there is to this one. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't really know what else to really say. We called it. We nailed it. It was early in the second quarter. Uh, Clemson scores a touchdown to go up 28 to nothing. And uh, yeah, props to the Stephen Deacons for I'm not going to say making it a game, but for getting that backdoor cover. Uh, they go on a 13-7 to run to end the game and cover. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. I was at a, uh, I was at a little bit of a dinner party, a, uh, a Friendsgiving, if you will, uh, on Saturday night, and this game was kind of on in the background, and I feel like I probably embarrassed myself by uh, how much I was mildly paying attention to what kind of was like a garbage blowout game here. So, um, yeah, Clemson lets off the gas. They don't win huge, but... They had about a 250-yard advantage on Wake Forest, and they win by uh, 22 points. So, about as we expected. Don't want to be completely misconstrued. I mean, I did say Clemson sleptwalked through the game. It's only because they were up 28-0. Or it was what? Yeah, it was 28-0, and then, you know, Wake Forest decides to play football. I mean, Clemson was out in front so quickly. I mean, they were just chilling the rest of the game, which is what Clemson should do to more opponents with their offense, given all the weapons they have. They've got a big game next week against the rivals, South Carolina. But as you mentioned before, I mean, we're at this point, we're pretty much one Clemson slip-up either next week or in the ACC championship game away from the ACC not having a team in the playoff. And that is a scary thought given that just a week ago you would have said that they had two of the four or five best teams in the country pretty easily. So uh, times are getting a little anxious around the uh, ACC offices in North Carolina, I'd have to imagine. Yeah, this is uh, dangerous territory if Clemson doesn't take care of business. My hunch is that they will, but they're this year's Ohio State show. We've talked about this last week. I mean, this is uh, a team that has all the talent in the world, and they need to put it together in big games and, you know, not just kind of wait to turn things on. I mean, they need to they need to kind of take it to their opponents a little bit more often and a little bit more quickly. Luckily, Clemson is that, that one team that we can always trust to never screw up games that they shouldn't be screwing up. That's right. So, <laughs> Or is it? <laughs> go Tigers. Tigers 35, Demon Deacons 13. Mike, Boston College dominated somebody. They pitched yeah. a shutout and they scored 30 points. And it wasn't your local high school team. No, nor was it like Howard or Wagner or insert tiny Massachusetts college here. I mean, that was Boston College 30... Connecticut zero. Uh, Connecticut's even in the AAC. 
this is this is a big win for Boston College. They're all, all the way up at five and six. Oh man, our doomsday scenario is it is here, isn't it? It's here. Yep, it's here. We'll get into oh, that a little bit more no. in the preview. But yeah, no, oh, BC no. could become bowl eligible. Oh god, that's a scary thought. Oh. Against my steam and Deeks, I've been conducting the hype train all year, every oh, week, right? Please no. Yeah, we got to get the the hype train to. Uh, is that a home game for Boston College? Uh, no, n- no, it's on the road. That hype train is out in full force in Winston Salem this week, Mike. That's right. Hype trains returning home. That's right. And uh, we will be in full Boston College Wake Forest preview mode later this week. So please tune in, or at least for like the six games that we preview before we talk about that one. Yeah, uh, and then I don't care what you do after that. Uh, it'll be good banter, you know. You can discuss Wake Forest and Boston College at Thanksgiving dinner if you want to. I wouldn't, but I would actually I recommend might. talking about politics instead of that. Oh yeah, you could talk about the most recent election even. Oh man. Um, Before we get too far into that, <laughs> speaking speaking of train wrecks, uh, UConn really bad football team turns out. Uh, BC is also a really bad football team, but that's saying something about UConn because you just lost by four touchdowns to a team that has one of the worst offenses in college football. So there's that. Um, hey, and give give credit to UConn for this. They rushed for almost no yards. They had minus six rushing yards in this game. Well, Bob Diaco, turns out he's UConn's head coach, former Notre Dame defensive coordinator. He might be looking for work after the season. Good news for him is that his old job's open again. So he might be able to slide right back into the friendly confines of South Bend, Indiana, and become Notre Dame's defensive coordinator once again, maybe. He could even be eligible for the Brian Van Gorder You Tried Award. Oh, he could, and he could actually... Replace that namesake with a Bob Diaco you tried award. Uh, yeah, I'm down for that. We can do yeah. that. Boston That's College, kind of... 154 yards and a touchdown on the ground on 52 carries. Three yards bad per efficiency. carry, almost. Bad efficiency, yeah. Really uh, bad efficiency. Man. I, I pity whoever had to watch this game. God bless you. It, it wasn't me. <laughs> That's for sure. I hope you saved some of the booze for Thanksgiving on Thursday. Oh, boy. Uh, You're going to need it when you talk about politics. Yeah. Or, or Wake Forest. <laughs> Wake Forest, Boston <laughs> College. Yes. Dear Lord. Let's move on, Mike, before we talk more about this. Eagles 30, Huskies 0. Uh, last game, not really going to get into this one. North Carolina 41, the Citadel 7. I will say that I kind of pictured this one being a little bit of a bigger blowout. Uh, we had the uh, the basketball conference sportsbook had this at Carolina minus 50, and they did not cover that. They didn't um, even score 50. They didn't even score Imagine 50. That. Yeah. Good performance from the Citadel's defense. Uh, the Citadel falls to 10-1 and one on the year, which is interesting. I didn't realize that. I mean. Yeah. Did you, you probably wanted me to contribute something here. Uh, I was <laughs> trying to lead into that, but, you know, if you don't have anything, we can just be honest with each other and say that we're just totally making this up off the cuff. We are. I mean, I don't really have much to say about the Citadel. Um other than they were undefeated coming into this game, uh, UNC was chilling, and they won 41-7. to I mean, this is, you know, you're playing an FCS game in November. I mean, how much can we really say? This is, it's a good thing UNC didn't lose. So let's put it that way. You want to know what UNC did lose, Mike? 
the time of possession battle. The Citadel held the ball for almost 42 and a half minutes in this game. Yeah, that's a recipe to success. To, man, I wish I could talk correctly. A recipe to success if the offense is any good, but they only scored seven points. So that's the problem with that game plan. I mean, they did go for 344 on the ground, which, you know, it's a North Carolina defense, so, you know. Anyways, Tar Heels 41, the Citadel 7. Wait, wait, timeout, real quick. Citadel went for 344 on the ground, and they only scored 7 points. Hell yeah, they did. Wow, that's weird football. I like it. They belong in the ACC. Yeah, that's, uh, I want to say BC status, because they haven't had 344 yards all year. But that's, like, pretty remarkable that you have 344 yards rushing and only score seven points. That's incredible stuff. I bet the Citadel could outrush UConn playing against the Boston College defense. Probably. And meanwhile, Gene Chizik is out in the, uh, he's up in the booth saying, oh, yeah, Ben, but don't break defense. It's like, yeah, you just gave up 344 on the ground to an FCS school, man. Get out of town. Must have really been mailing it in. Again, blessings if you were watching that game as well. You probably need that. Yeah, UNC 41, the Citadel 7. Last thing, Mike, the Go ACC moment of the week and the Brian Van Gordon Memorial You Tried Award are both going to go to uh, easily one of the worst, most disappointing, embarrassing, awful performances we've seen this year from a team. And that's your Louisville Cardinals. That's my Louisville Cardinals. Um, that's right. The Go ACC moment of the week is uh, right out of the gate. Um, so, what, Houston wins the coin toss, elects to defer. I don't even remember. I wasn't even there at that point. I was still trying to get to my seat. Uh, Louisville's going to receive the opening kickoff. They do, and before the runner gets tackled, this happens. Here we go. Malik Williams from the end zone is going to bring it out for Louisville. And Williams runs into his own man and fumbles the ball. And physically, with the fake on the jet sweep, and he'll hit his man in the flat toward the end zone. Catalan, touchdown! That audio courtesy of ESPN as Louisville takes a 7-0, uh, or excuse me, as Houston takes a 7-0 lead right out of the gate, thanks to some uh, very courteous giveaway technique? I don't know. What are we calling this? This is... You fumbled the opening kickoff, Louisville. It's the, uh... It's a season of giving, Joey. It's a sign of things and, to come. Yeah. It was a sign of things to come. It wasn't the way they needed to get the game started. Um... Yeah. I don't know. It was a gift. It was a gift on the opening kickoff, which, you know, you want to put yourself in a hole... Heck, man. I saw my Virginia Tech Hokies do the same thing against your Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets... About a week and a half ago, they go ACC to that, and yeah, I mean it was it was similar except, you know, didn't go back for a touchdown. Um, yeah, not a good start for Louisville. You can't have that start against a really good team. Um, can't have that happen. So AC go ACC moment of the week to Louisville for fumbling the opening kickoff. Oh jeez, yeah, that was really ugly. That was really bad. And, of course, the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award. This goes to the Louisville offensive line, uh, which really tried to act like a competent unit and act like they had any earthly idea what they were doing. Uh, and they ended up, let's see, let's count them. One, two, 
three, four. A lot of false start penalties. Uh, they had a couple Many. of holdings. They didn't block Houston otherwise. They had they gave up eleven sacks on the day. Um, I'm trying to find anything nice to say about Louisville's offensive line in this game, and it's just not there. Well, we're we've been talking about the season of giving just now with what they did on the opening kickoff, but. Uh, credit to Louisville's offensive line, season of giving. They were trying to give away Lamar Jackson's Heisman Trophy. My goodness. Yeah, they really did. I don't think it's going to happen, but, I mean, that's been a lot of talk as well. Is he still the Heisman leader? Like, I mean, probably. Probably. Like, you know, who's behind him? Oh, yeah, let's talk about Jake Browning out at Washington some more. Yeah, um, yeah it turns out he was a fraud. Uh, not not a fraud. I mean, he's fine. He's a good player. But, uh he, you know, once he plays a real defense, all of a sudden Washington's not as good as we thought they were. Mm. Like, who else? Jabril Peppers? I mean, Deshaun Watson? I mean, Watson's out. I mean, Jabril Peppers is probably it, and he's not even really in contention compared to where Lamar Jackson's at. Jackson's just so far ahead, I just don't see it happening. I don't really care what happens here um, in the final game of the year. I just, you know... I, th- I think it's I think it's locked up. It's been locked up. I get emails every week, Mike, that update me. Not just me. I think it's a lot of people. Maybe they've zeroed in on me and my habits. But uh, updating on the national championship odds as well as the Heisman odds. And the email that I got today, we recorded here on Monday, uh, they're not even giving out Heisman odds right now because Lamar Jackson is such an astronomical favorite. Uh, the The email literally said, the bookmakers are currently discussing whether to even reopen it. Which, yeah, I mean, it's over. I mean, when that comes out just days after they look like a total circus, uh, I, I think it's over. Yeah, no, it's over. I, I mean, really, over. and the reason why it's over is, I mean, A, Lamar Jackson has been spectacular all year. This is probably his worst game, and it wasn't even on him. But B, there are just no other players that have been even remotely as good as Lamar Jackson. And that's... We've had some close Heisman races the last few years, but I've never seen a weaker group of Heisman contenders, I think, outside of obviously Lamar Jackson that I've seen this year. I mean, this is probably the weakest, or it could go down as the weakest Heisman class that we've seen in quite some time, maybe the last decade, now that I think about it. Lamar Jackson has been really spectacular most of the year. Just on Thursday night, he needs some more help from his teammates, and he wasn't getting it, so... And some of it, uh, one, one more quick thing, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but, I mean, Lamar Jackson's not blameless in this game by any means. I mean, he had some plays there, held on to the ball too long. We can talk about their offensive line playing poorly, and justifiably so. The offensive line was garbage, but there were a lot of plays here um, in this game that Lamar Jackson would definitely like to have back, but um, he's far from the problem uh, in this loss, that's for sure. Yeah, but the offensive line wasn't. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. No, I'm with you. And they get the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award for trying to do literally anything right and failing in this game. So, good on you, Cardinals. Don't do it again. They might. Oh, I hope not. They I hope beat not, Kentucky. too. But we'll get to that later this week. They're the, uh, you know, we called Kentucky the Wake Forest of the SEC, remember? And now Wake Forest is good. And Kentucky is not all that bad. I mean, they're they're bad, but they're maybe not as bad as we thought. Are you saying that we're partially to blame for this? Because you might not be wrong. 
I think we are partially, partially, this is how my day is going today. Um, we are partially to blame for this, yes. Oh, jeez. I can't, I can't, I can't put up with that. I'm going to have to go do something to deal with this, uh, this immense weight that has been put on my shoulders of making Kentucky, like, an acceptable football program. I mean, they're, they're not really accept, I mean, (laughs) they're acceptable by their standards. Well, actually, that might not even be true. Acceptable yeah. by their standards is like one in eleven, right? Like, <laughs> like, grab some of the basketball players, bring them out, you know, get some talent on the roster. That's really all the football season is for Kentucky. It's just a warm up to basketball season. It's like here's your appetizer before the main course. Oh God. Okay. Here's. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, Mike, we should probably get out of here. Yeah, I was an absolute disaster in this podcast, so I'd like to thank everybody for everybody for listening. Joey, thank you as always for putting up with me. We'll try to do better here in the preview. Oh man, I, I'm I'm still uh, I'm still a little discombobulated after watching Louisville just get ransacked and then watching uh, Georgia Tech trip over itself into the end zone kind of thing. Um, yeah, I don't even know what I'm saying here. Let's yeah, we we let's go, let's cut this off. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a long weekend of travel. I'm still exhausted, and I've made up probably three or four different words in this podcast, so I think it's time to move on to the preview. Brutal. Well, bless you if you've sat here and listened to us this whole time. Uh, in the meantime, you can li- you can find me on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel ACC, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. You can also email us questions, comments, concerns, probably lots of concerns at this point. Uh, the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes and on Google Play. Uh, you can uh, review and rate us and tell us what you think. Uh, if you are a hater, we still need to know because you are a crucial part of this legit podcast thing. So uh, hit us up if you're a hater. That's fine. Um, but, Mike, we will get back together and we will preview for one last time in the regular season. Uh, we will preview some sweet action a little later this week. Yep, sounds good, Joey. All right. Well, until then, for Mike McDaniel, I'm Joey Weaver. Joey CC. Peace.